0: Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. It is day 25 of OSR October. I think I'm actually going to make it. (laughs) So today, since yesterday's podcast was quite short, today I've got one a little bit longer. This is an amazing supplement for OSR type games, and it's something I've had for quite a while. And while I've looked at it and gained tons of inspiration from it, I've never actually used it. And I think now that I've been looking through it again, I feel like I really need to use this. It's called Yoon The Purple Land. So I have it as a print book, which I think I got from Lulu. Maybe. Uh, I see they have it on drive-thru now as PDF only. So I don't know if you can get a print book anymore. I kind of wish I had the PDF, to be honest with you. Because this is a great... And I may jump on drive-thru ever after I record this and buy the PDF. This is a great resource to have at the table. So it is a... look. <laughs> if you know me, this is going to seem odd. It is a location... Uh, you know, I, I often talk about the idea... You're probably going to hear the book, Flippern. Uh, you often talk about the idea that I don't necessarily like to work in pre-made worlds. But what makes Yoon soon really interesting is that it's... Well, I'm going to re- read it from the author. So it starts off with... Look, let me get back to that in a second. It starts off with a little kind of intro. The Journal of Laxmi Guptra Dal, Dal. And uh, an account of a traveler in a distant place. And basically it goes through kind of... It's a little story talking about the area, kind of from almost like one of those travel logs, old school, like travel logs. And it talks about, you know, from a outsider's point of view, what they see there. And this goes on for, oh, I don't know, these pages, uh, let's see, 16. Okay, it looks like it goes on for about almost 20 pages. So it's a fun little read to get kind of an insight as a traveler, as almost like this was a real place. Then we get into the introduction. How to use this book. First, pick a region which you wish to begin your campaign uh, turn to the relevant chapter and relevant map. Hold on. I got ahead of myself. That's not the part I wanted to read <laughs> What I wanted to read was this Introduction how to use this book This book allows the owner to create his or her own Yun Suin campaign it Is a tribute to the TSR campaign settings of old, but with a twist There is no single Yun and no Yun is ever the same as any other nor the same way twice is a place which is always the same, yet always different, depending on whose game it is and how the dice are rolled. So I'm not going to read this whole thing through, but basically there's like several different districts or sections in Yuen Suin. There are tables to generate them so that when you generate your version of this campaign setting, it is going to be unique. And obviously you can uh, choose instead of rolling, so you can mix it up a bit. I'm just going to kind of go through some fun parts of it and uh, we'll go from there. So once we get past, oh, there's also a campel uh, campel. There's also an example of a campaign setup here, so that's pretty cool. I love examples. We start off with chapter one character generation. So there are a few um things here. You've got there's a, a population of human humanoids, I guess for lack of a better word, called the slug men. They are they're really slug people because they're they don't have a, a, a gender, but. They, they are basically uh, kind of the rulers of the area. There's also crab men that you can play. And it looks like they generally lean towards dwarves and then humans. So I guess no elves or halflings for the most part. And this is basically... So the crab man is a crab man class. So they're looking at it like, all right, race is class. But then the slug man, though, could be a magician or a holy man. So they could be a, a magic user or a cleric. Dwarves can be a warrior or an adventurer. So, so a... Uh, fighter or a thief and a human could be anything so it's definitely not races class in that way but there is a races class crab man so <laughs> i love it anyways we'll skip over that for now so chapter two we we look through this is a, a bestiary just to give you an idea of what you might encounter i'm just going to pick something random i always take an a so let me pick something from the middle oh <laughs> interesting so there is a monster here called migo but it is not the migo from lovecraft i do not believe a huge, carnivorous, white ape-like creature that inhabits the high mountains. It lives off yaks and their human herders, who sometimes develop symbiotic relationships with it, sending a child once a month in return for safety. It likes to hoard shiny objects and often keeps bodies frozen in chasms or ice caves as primitive larder. And then next to this, so that's like your main description, then it has a kind of a standard kind of OSR stat block, 7 plus 7 hit dice, AC4, etc. But then next to it, it always has like a little write-up about the monster. So this one says, usually solitary or mated pair, there is a 1 in 10 chance a randomly encountered Migo will have a relationship with a local group of herders. So it gives you a way to use it in play. Really simple, really quick explanations of these monsters. You can certainly use them in any... System. Oh, hold on. There are a giant starfish in this. Let's check this out. A huge, moving mass of flesh with five vastly powerful limbs capable of crushing steel and splintering the bone before ushering victims into its ravenous mouth. Yeah, it sounds like a starfish to me. Makes me nervous to go to the beach. <laughs> Usually solitary. So we have a bunch of uh, monsters here. And then we've got kind of when you get into to creating the, your own version of this campaign setting... We have an introduction, and then we have uh, basically you roll PC's social circle. They kind of give you an idea. The idea here is that you're going to start off with some connections so that when your PC is like, do I know a guy that you'll have an idea if they should or not. So we've got a bunch of tables here, and they're kind of like those kind of tables where they've got three columns, and you can roll your die. It's a D10 table. You can roll your die one time, just read it straight across, or you can roll three times to mix it up. So it gives you a lot of options as far as you know, what you get here. So Crab Man, Fighting Stables, Seekers of Secret Knowledge, Philosophy, Society. Then we have a table here with like the people of the Yellow City. This is a D30 table. Um, and it is, and there's some D20 tables. So there's a Slugman. And what we get here again is the multiple columns, right? So you can roll, if you roll a five, it might be an embezzler. Always carries an umbrella. Uh, the second NPC from that number could be a fraudster. You got a name, Rushik. That's a male name. Then you've got a female name, Gun Jia, And then their motive is knowledge. So, and again, you could roll. If I rolled a five, I get embezzler. Then I roll a seven, has white pupils. Then I roll a 10, uh, is a tanner. And then I roll, a let's say, a 13, is Iksha, is their name, their female. And then I roll a 20, and they are looking for possessions. Or it's a possession they have that motivates them. So it's a quick way to bring up NPCs. We have General Rumors. <laughs> I'm just looking at this. It says NPC is trying to NPC. This is this type of table, I've actually talked about these a little bit on my on my YouTube channel. I make these for Wandering Monster tables a lot of times. So it's kind of the same thing. Uh, I'm glad that other people do this. So we've got... Um, it's interesting, though. I guess you... They've only got... Oh, like I said, they have 10 numbers here. So you just roll one through... Oh, I like how it is. Okay, so it's a D20 table. So there's 20 NPCs, 20 NPCs, and they line up. So the one is a magician on both tables. And let's say the 11 is a cockroach clan chief on both tables. But then in the middle, you've the you've got the is trying to, and you have a one, a three, five. So basically you're going to, uh, it's a D10 motives, if you will. So let's say we roll a seven. That's a beggar. And then we, we get intimidating, a tea shop owner. Right. Or you could get a holy man stealing the spouse of a criminal or a magician killing a fortune teller. So you get all these great. uh, And again, these rumors are hooks. It could be like I generally do it as you walk up on them and that's what's happening. But you could totally use this as a rumor. Oh, there's a rumor that the magician uh, is looking to steal uh, the philosopher's stone. Right. So you can create rumors with this. And then, of course, they have a bunch of pre-made rumors already. Then we get into random locations and encounters. You can create these ahead of time, obviously, and you can also roll them on the fly. A crab man fight being put on in a square. If the PCs stop and watch, a pickpocket strikes. And then you've got a location. In this case, it says, uh, buy a crab man ghetto, but you you could, again, roll it. It's two different tables. So you could say, buy a tannery. So very, very cool. It's got all the different uh, neighborhoods here. Sea nomads, observatories, sea nagas. Just lots and lots of great stuff. And then we have a sample Old Town random encounter table. So if you have your own, you roll a d10 plus a d20. Let's see. We'll find one here. Preta. Mournful, starving, embodiments of pathetic greed. Generate as per bestiary entry. So Preta must be a monster. Is it bestiary or bestiary? I don't know. We have d30 special sites. Chapter four is Laga, the Hundred Kingdoms. So this introduction to that. And, again, you've got the same kind of stuff here. So, basically, what we get... Ooh, what's this? Assets. This is such a great... All right, here we go. Assets. Cult of the Elephant God. This polity is home to a branch of the Cult of the Elephant God, who have been slowly spread their influence throughout the elite. NPCs, powerful and charismatic uh, elephant priests, drunk on blood and sexual conquest, crazed fanatics who will stop at nothing to obey the creatures of their faith. Ooh, fun. Okay, and then we have the social circles. So basically, because there's different domains here, you're gonna have repeats, and they're, each one's gonna have unique, right? So if you're from the Yellow City, you're gonna have certain tables you roll on, and if you're from uh, this area, you'll have different tables to roll on. You've got ghosts. We have, again, sample locations here. I'll kind of go through the back here. Uh, generating uh, oh, flavor locations and characteristics. So we've got lots and lots of stuff here. And what's really cool is shrines or temples. I'm gonna get to the back here. Again, we have rumors, and this one's got different people here. They right, they don't have the uh, the same setup. The magician is still number one, um, but uh, we've got jewelers, prospector, criminal, philosopher. So lots of good stuff here. Farming villages. Okay, uh, an expert guide who knows all the contents of the hex and surroundings is in this farming village. Uh, but the villagers are are, group, are grouped in a shelter uh, against bandits that you encounter. And all the village children are disappearing at night. They're convinced it's the Yak people. So again, you can build these, uh, these little setups here. And I believe they have... Oh, they got lairs. I want to say there's some hexes back here. Oh, here we go. Sample hexes. Sample hex contents. And we've got tons of these. So if you just need a random hex or if you just need inspiration the flower priest in the foothills here there is a small round stone building covered in earth and carpeted by alpine flowers which stretch over the grass around it in several directions the small lithe man who lives here brews potions from the flowers which he sells for a fee and there's a whole bunch of potions here so in with prices so again if you want to have something like that in your i was i'm never a fan of just like magic item shops But this is one of those situations where it's somebody, it's a quest, right? Go out and find this guy. He sells these potions that you might be able to use. We've got different, uh, there's there's some, I think it's for Lotus, there's some stuff in here for drugs. There's uh, appendices on psionics. They have their own psionic system. Uh, They got fortune telling system, random ruin and lair dungeon creation, magical tattoos, deities inspirational books, and then we get a whole bunch of, uh, hex maps and location maps so we can use them in our game if we want to run in in, uh, a Soon campaign. So this is a great resource. It is available as a PDF. I will check to see if it's on Lulu still. It probably is, um, their own website, uh, it only also sells as a PDF. So I'll find the links. I'll put it in the show notes below. I would love to know if people have run in this. I hear people talk about this all the time as being fantastic. Well, not as much lately because it's a bit older. Uh, So, which is why I picked it up. And then I just never really ran it. And I think the reason why is because you got to really sit down to work on this. You know, this is not the kind of thing you can read. I've talked about this before. I don't generally pick up books with massive amounts of page counts anymore. And because it says over 300 pages, but really it's a lot of charts and stuff. So, if you want to run something in this setting and it seems interesting to you, I definitely recommend picking it up. I've got a bunch of calls now. So, let's see what people are saying about OSR October.
1: Hey, Daniel, Kevin calling in from the Red Caps podcast, just finished listening to Blogs on Tape. Thank you for bringing that back to my attention. I had actually unsubscribed from the podcast because there hadn't been an update in about a year Uh, between episodes uh, 108 and 109. There's just over a year gap in between. I thought maybe the project had stopped, Um, but it is a fantastic resource. I highly uh, echo your recommendation for it and uh, it's great to hear that it's back. So yes, I will be resubscribing to Blogs on Tape, and I suggest everybody else does as well. It's just a really cool concept all the way around um, and should be highlighted as much as possible. So thank you very much, take care.
0: Thanks, Kevin. Yes, Blogs on Tape. I Again, I kind of did the same thing. I thought they had stopped doing it, although way before you, <laughs> and uh, somehow lost my uh, them out of my feed. I guess probably when I was cleaning out at some point. And uh, yeah, it's a great, it's a great thing. I mean, I really like the blogs, but I don't always have time to read them. And a lot of times I'm running around, I can just listen to a quick podcast. So I think they're great for that. And obviously, even more importantly, and not being selfish myself, is they're great for people that just don't have the ability to read the blogs. So I think uh, bringing accessibility to a lot of RPG stuff is, is a really great project. And I appreciate that they do that.
1: Hey, Daniel, Aaron, the NPC here great work with osr october so far man keep it up uh thanks for covering the 50 fiends book i was starting to think i was the only one who had ever found that thing uh as a fifth grader listening to metallica and pondering the monster manual uh, i always found the demons and devils section to be uh, pretty awesome Uh, Never, never used those guys in an actual campaign setting. I wonder if anybody has uh, could. uh, Yep. Keep it up, man.
0: You know, yes, I used to love looking at the demons and the monster manuals and stuff, but I can't say I've ever really used them myself. I've used a lot of the small, weird ones uh, in as an adult later on, like some of the squishy, like blobby ones, but the ones like the main ones. Just not something I've ever really used. So, yeah, guys, call in. Let me know if anybody's really used those uh, demons.
1: Hey, Daniel. Jason here. Yeah, there's no question that there was all kinds of play back in the day from Gonzo to very high-powered play. When when you look at the stories of, you know, Gygax's group and, and some of those characters and you read the stuff from Blackmore. I mean, you got characters that are vampires and things, you know. There's definitely high power play going on back in the day and, and silliness and people having fun. It's not all first to third level characters crawling in the mud. You, you know what I mean? Some groups might have played that way. I know we didn't in the mid-80s when I got into it. But I'm there's no bad wrong fun at all. But sometimes I wonder if the OSR doesn't delve too much into the pathetic aesthetic as opposed to, you, you know, some of the more madcap stuff that they did back in the day. But anyway great show, as always, and yeah, I'll definitely be happy to grab a sword and sandal game and run it for you so you can play, or run Barbarian Zimbasklisks for me. I appreciate the offer, and I will take you up on it, sir. Take care. Have a great day. Hey, Daniel. Great episode on philodomies, musings, even if I can't say it. (laughs) Um, The rose-colored glasses thing is interesting. Definitely you have to read these rules with fresh-set eyes, like you say, especially OD&D, because there are so many things that were changed later on that you know, de- definitely work differently. But the rose-colored glasses thing, I agree. It's these are what I like about these games now. I think the problem is, and, and where there's a little confusion is, you know, we have to accept that the way we're playing these games now isn't necessarily how they played them when the games, you know, back in 74, 75, 76. And that's okay. You know, so it's not so much recreating the exact experience at Gary's table in seven, in 1975, it's about enjoying the rule sets they wrote back then, right? So we know that they didn't use chainmail, but that doesn't mean you're using chainmail with OD&D is wrong, right? Um, so, yeah, it the, I, the problem with the Rose Card Glass, so many people are like, well, you're recreating, you know, it, people get wrapped up around this idea that OSR is trying to recreate the way it was at the table in 1975. And that's not necessarily so. It's enjoying the games and maybe enjoying some of the philosophies, but it, we're, we're not recreating what they did then. We're enjoying those rule sets now. So I, I think that's a very important distinction. You, you know what I mean? It, when you look at it, you know, you t- look at Taylor's episode today over in Claire email, he's talking about prep versus play. And, you know, where don't worry about getting everything prepped, just get it to the table. And I think OSR pushes that, which is good. But when you look at, like, Gary Gygax... Like, he very much had many levels of the dungeon mapped out. And, you, you know, look at Gygax 75 challenge Ray is you know, pushed. And you read what Gygax writes in there. He very much said, is talking about you have to have all this built before you run the game. And we don't do that today. And that's okay. You know, you don't have to run it the way Gary Gygax ran it. But I think that's where the rose-colored glasses gets murky as people think we're saying this is exactly how it was run by Gygax and Arneson. And that's not necessarily what's happening. or And that's not even the desire here, right? The desire is to enjoy these old rule sets and, and playing these games. So I think that's a really important point and and maybe a, one of the sticking points that we as a community need to do a better job of expanding on and talking about. But... Yeah, that was the whole idea with OSR October: be positive about these things, not put other games down, not be the negatives, just push the positives. Hey, look at this cool supplement! And you know what? If you play Five E or you play Pathfinder Two or you play whatever game system you play, you, you know Fate or, or you play whatever, look at this cool supplement, like the ones you've been talking about, Daniel. You can use these for ideas for your games, you know. And that, and that's that's where where it comes from: the DIY and mix and match and and all that. So that's that's where a lot of the fun of the OSR comes from. You've been doing a great job this month. I really appreciate all you've done, Daniel, and keep up the great work.
0: Thanks, Jason, that was Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. You know, it's funny you say that cuz right, cuz when I played D&D in the I think it started in like 81, 82, the uh about 81 I guess, <coughs> we did not play down in the dirt, mud uh <laughs> grim dark. I mean, we were kids, right? So we played Uh, you know, ride unicorns and uh, have magic swords and wings and any cool thing we saw in a movie or a cartoon we tried to incorporate into our game. We even were doing stuff from, we'd see things on Star Trek and we'd add it. You know, we had like little magic items that were like phasers. And so, (laughs) you know, people definitely play the game in many different ways. And I think that's even today. And I think that's what makes the game really great. What I think is actually interesting about the rose-colored glasses is... Again, that's how it is for me. I didn't play back then, so I don't I don't look at uh, od and and say, well, it was so good back then and that's why we play it, And but I sit at home and just, you know, talk about it. I mean, I'm actually out there playing the game, and I think that's really important. It's true about really any of the systems. So, you know, when I started looking back and buying some of these old systems that I used to play when I was a kid, for instance, Boot, Boot Hill, like we're playing now, or Top Secret, you know, I had the same situation where people were like, oh, yeah, but those games, they weren't really very good. And, you know, I like them. I don't like all of the old games I played back then. I've definitely looked at some rule systems and I'm like, hmm. But for me, if I enjoy it now, then that's what matters. I don't care about back then. I mean, I obviously, I'm happy to have a, a great memories with my, with my childhood friends. But really, I'm all about playing it now. And most of the people I play with now uh, never played these games back then at all. You know, a lot of them are younger than me. And, you know, what's interesting, too, is that about what you're talking about, the supplements is it actually occurred to me when you said that, as I'm looking at so many of these, like including uh, Yunsoo, and I was running 5e when I bought most of this stuff and I would pull ideas from these and use them in my worlds. So many of the supplements that I've talked about now, I've actually pulled pieces from and used pieces from in my fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons game. So what you're saying is definitely true. You can use this stuff in a lot of different systems because D&D itself hasn't really changed much <laughs> when it comes down to it. It's The game is about a group of people getting together and having fun exploring fantastic worlds, right? That's ultimately what the RPG is, the fantasy RPG is. And however you approach it is going to be different based on your group. You know, the, there are people, uh, think about when you put a puzzle together, right? If you empty a box out, <laughs> a, a puzzle out on your table with a, with a group of people to build it, they, some people might take a week to build a puzzle, you know, putting one or two pieces together each day. Some people might sit down and do the whole thing at once. Some people might build all the edges first. Some people put different color patterns together. There's lots of different ways to approach building a puzzle. And a RPG system is kind of like that, right? There's lots of different ways to come into it. And I think it's good for us to read different rule sets and see how people approach things so that we can get a grasp of what we like in the game. But ultimately, like I say, there is no right or wrong. And I think that when you approach something with the eyes of I played it this way when I was, you know, in 1980 and we had fun as kids or college students or whatever, how old you were. And now I'm coming back to it and I see people playing a different way and they're wrong because they don't play the way I played. That's your rose colored glasses and your, frankly, person that's way off base. (laughs) So I think, though, most people that I've played with or everybody that I've played with, not everybody I've interacted with, but everybody I've played with feels the same way that I do, where it's like we're just enjoying these rule systems for what they are today. What can we pull for them? What's interesting about them? And, you know, what I've said before about the chainmail thing is that I actually like the idea of this alternate history. Like, what would have been different had we gone that way? If we had just been like, you know what? We're going to use chainmail for combat. We're not going to use this alternate combat system because maybe my group of friends had chainmail and we knew how to play it. How different would D&D have been? And I'm having fun messing with that. So thanks for calling in, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to call and leave the message for the show, you can do so by following the link in the show notes. You can find a link to the anchor webpage to do that. Or you can join my discord and send me a message there. A private discord message, private discord message. Uh, you can also do that if you're part of any of the discords that I'm part of, which would include clerics wear rigmail It would include the audio dungeon and also grizzly peaks. So any of those discords, you can find me, look me up, throw me a DM, drop me a line. <laughs> and, uh,